could read from John 11, 17 to 27, and 38 to 44. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will even though he dies, will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God, who was to come into the world. Verses 38 to 44. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Thank you, Sierra, for reading that passage. So we see in here, um, John is writing about Jesus being the resurrection and the life. And we follow this in the book of John. So we've discovered something quite important, that the book of John was written by a man called John. That's right. You guys are paying attention. So it's a good start. So we see John writes the book of, book of John, and he was very close to Jesus. And he actually calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. So to him, Jesus was more than just the Messiah, which is pretty cool. He was more than the God, the Son of God. He was also a dear friend and teacher with whom he'd spent what were no doubt the most exciting years of his life. And the depth of John's love for Jesus permeates his book and sheds a new light on the many feats and miracles that Jesus performed in John and the disciples had witnessed. And it is John who highlights something really amazing in the book of John. He highlights something, a number, the number seven. Now the number seven, I don't know if it means anything to us today. Just a cool number, right? But back then, it would have been very important. John was no stranger to Jewish tradition and symbolism, and he understood the number seven and the number seven's use through scripture to represent completion, wholeness, and perfection. And John's goal in his book is to lead the reader to identify and to highlight how fantastic and 
awesome Jesus Christ is. And that includes us today. John wants us to understand how amazing Jesus Christ is. And the realization that Jesus was, beyond any conceivable doubt, the perfect fulfillment of the law and the prophets of God. And one of the purposes of these seven public uh, um, things that John is doing, uh, highlighting, is to show us how Jesus is God. And he shares two or three things in sevens. Uh, first one he shows, it's on the seven public signs or seven public miracles to highlight how Jesus is God. These are the things that only Jesus Christ can accomplish. Turning water into wine. Or healing a nobleman's son. Or healing the man in the pool. Or feeding 5,000 people plus food out of, out of relatively nothing. Or how Jesus walked on water. Or healing a, a man born blind. Or, as we'll discover today, the resurrection of Lazarus. Bringing someone back to their life. But John also highlights something else. The seven I am's. That's what we're looking at today. The seven I am's of Jesus. The declarations who Jesus said he was. And this morning what we find is two of them public signs and the I am's. They join together. So we see Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life. And that is linked with the resurrection of Lazarus this morning. So that's the story that we're looking at today. And I hope you get, you're beginning to get a, a picture of what John is wanting to communicate. And it starts actually in, in chapter 10 of John. John 10. John 10, verse 28. Jesus, or even maybe he's 22. Jesus is going to the feast of dedication. The feast of dedication uh, might be known to you today, modern day feast, uh, the feast of lights of Hanukkah. And this was a relatively new tradition that the Jewish people were, were celebrating. And they wanted to celebrate this, this time because um, what you found was Antiochus Epiphanes um, dedicated a pig uh, on, on an olive. Now dedications of pigs or sacrifices of pigs are pretty cool if you want to have a hog roast, which we're going to have on uh, September 10th. Just laying it in there, September 10th. We're going to have a great day. Uh, and it's great. To have a, who likes hog roasts? Please put your hands in the air. Okay. A few. Okay. Well, we're going to have one. So you better like them. Okay. We're going to have a hog roast. It's going to be a great day. And it's good if you're going to have a hog roast. But it's not good if you're Jewish. It's pretty bad to have uh, a pig sacrificed on an altar. And yet, this was, ha this was what happened. Antiochus Epiphanes sacrificed a pig on the Jewish altar and it outraged them and there was a revolt. And so they wanted to clear and cleanse the temple. And in doing so, they wanted to remember this time and they wanted to honor God. They wanted to make sure that God was put in his place. That they wanted to be reverent and honoring and holy before a holy God. And so they cleansed the temple and they made a big thing of it. And this is why they have the Feast of Dedication. And then what we find is Jesus Christ goes to the Feast of Dedication and he says, he says this in verse 28, I give them eternal life, that's us, which is pretty good news, right? And then he says, and they shall never perish. Amen, this is great news. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Even better news. I'm like, already I'm excited about Jesus Christ. 
My father, he who's given them to me, is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the father are one. And for us reading today, you think, amen. Amen to that. With Jesus Christ, we have eternal life and no one can snatch me out of my father's hand. No, my, 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 my eternity is secure in Christ, which is good news for us. But it's not good. Yeah, who said that? Amen. Woo-hoo! Praise Jesus, right? Jesus is awesome. It's good for us. But it's not good if you're Jewish. And so the Jewish people are furious. They're saying, why is Jesus saying these things? And they want to stone him. They want to kill him because they believe he's blaspheming. He says, I and the Father are one. Jesus Christ is saying, I am God. And the Jewish people aren't happy here. And so what Jesus has to do, he has to retreat so he doesn't get stoned. His time has not come. And as Jesus retreats, he goes out. I've got a map there. I don't know if you can see that with those lights on. But Jesus Christ retreats away from Jerusalem. We've got Jerusalem there at the bottom, next to Bethlehem in, in the area of Judea. And Jesus leaves that area of Jerusalem and he goes past behind, perhaps behind the Jordan River into the towns, teaching and preaching in the towns over there. And while he's teaching over there in that area, he gets message, he gets news from good friends, Mary and Martha, that their brother Lazarus is ill. And they want Jesus to come. We've just seen all the miracles that Jesus has performed. If Jesus can heal people from being blind and raise them, you know, raise them up from uh, walking again, Jesus can heal our brother Lazarus. Jesus, come home. Come to Bethany. That's where we are, Bethany. That's where the big arrow is, Bethany. Come to Bethany. Heal our brother Lazarus. But Jesus says to the disciples, nope, we're not going yet. Our time has not come. He says in verse four, when he heard the news, he said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister Lazarus. And Lazarus. So Jesus loved these people and yet he wasn't willing to go straight away. Jesus waited so that God could be glorified. And when Jesus did decide to go, when the time was right, he said, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea. Our time is right. The disciples were like, no, no, no. In verse 8, Jesus, we don't want to go. A short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you. And you want to go back to Jerusalem? They're trying to protect Jesus. Or, in reality, they're probably trying to protect themselves. They don't want to do what Jesus wants to do. Jesus has a, a can, I will do whatever I can attitude to glorify God, to serve God. And yet the disciples are trying to protect their own skin. It's so easy for us as Christians to take the easy route, right? To be comfortable. But Jesus calls us to perhaps a not so comfortable ministry here on earth. Jesus says, let's go so that our Father may be glorified. And off they go. And off they go back to Bethlehem, which was on the map. Can we keep our map up there for a moment? Jesus goes back to Bethlehem. Don't worry if you don't have it. There we go. Thank you. Jesus goes back to Bethlehem, back to the danger area. It's only about two miles outside of Jerusalem. Jesus says this, that the sick, this, this, this sickness will not end in death, but the glory of God will be evident to all. And in verse 17, it says this, on the, his arrival, so Jesus gets there to Bethlehem. Jesus found that Lazarus 
had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them in their loss of their brother. Lazarus has died. And there's two things that John wants us to, to understand here. Two things. One, that Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Why is that important? Now for us today, perhaps we don't realize what that means because we're not 2,000 years old and we don't understand Jewish cultural contexts. But back then, four days was significant because it was generally believed by ancient Jews that if you were uh, dead, when you died uh, for two or three days, your spirit still like hung around for a little while. Just because I'm not too sure what he was doing, but he wanted to be around the body, wanted to check things out, uh, wanted to make sure that the body was okay. But then on the fourth day, when the body started to decay, the spirit would go. So after four days, you weren't just dead, you were like really dead, like properly dead. And so John is saying, he ain't just like a little bit dead, he's like really, really, really gone. And this is what the context is. Jesus comes to Lazarus. So first of all, we know that. We know that Lazarus is dead, dead. And then the other thing we learn is that there are a lot of people coming to see Mary and Martha. There's a big crowd there. There's a big crowd of people supporting and caring for Mary and Martha. And this is so I suppose Jesus can actually bring glory to God. He didn't do it in private, he's doing this public sign. He's raising Lazarus from the dead to show the power and the might of God. And we see here in verse 35, when Jesus approached the tomb, he wept. Then the Jews said, see how much he loved him. I love that. Jesus weeps with us. Jesus is a sympathetic and compassionate God. He knows our hurts. He knows our trials. He understands what we're going through. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man. And he understands our trials and our temptations, even today. God isn't a God who's removed, but he's a personal God and he loves us. So if you're going through problems, if you're going through hurt, give it to Jesus because he understands. Even Jesus wept. He knows how we feel. And then in verse 43. Jesus approaches the tomb. He says, remove the stone. When he'd said this, he called in a loud voice, Lazarus, wake up. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen. I'm not too sure how he kind of came out, whether he's like strapped like this. Did he like shuffle out? I don't know. <laughs> but he came out somehow or other. He came out. This dead man had rose again. When we see the I am's of Jesus Christ, we begin to see the glory of God and the glory of Jesus. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, not only does he give light, but he is the light. When he says, I am the door, which we looked at last week, I hear there was a sheep in the church last week. Is that right? How amazing is that? I go away for one week and there's live animals in church. Not only does Jesus Christ say that he's the door, you know, but he, not only does he help people through the door, but he hears the door. When Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, 
Well, what does that mean? Ralph is going to share a little bit later on this morning about what that means for us today in our own lives in 2023. Thank you, Jillian, for leading us. And thank you, children, for coming. Maybe you should just stay here because, like Jillian, I also feel nervous when I'm by myself up front here. Um, Simon asked me a little bit to, sh to, to share about a reflection. What does it mean, what he talked about this morning? It's an amazing passage that Jesus is declaring of who he is, but he's also validating who he is. It, I mean, it's one thing to say something, but then if you cannot follow through, there's no point. But it needs a response. And if we look at this passage here in, in John 11, verse 45, actually, we can see afterwards, therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and put their faith in him. And some of them went to the Pharisees and walked away. So there was responses of the people. And Lazarus and Mary, of course, and Martha, they also had a response. I'm sure that Lazarus, for the rest of his life, he lived differently than he lived before, up to this point. And so should we. When we claim this morning that we have resurrection life, our lives should be different as well. We need to realize that we are born spiritually dead and that we need resurrection. Sometimes it's difficult to realize that because we are physically alive and we can be blinded and distracted and we live under the illusion that we don't need life. But God allows circumstances in our lives that we can come to the end of ourselves. Like Lazarus in this story, he was physically dead. He could not do anything. And sometimes in our lives, it could be a deep crisis. It could be maybe an accident, broken relationships, financial crisis, maybe an addiction. There could be crises in our life where we come to the end of ourselves and realize we are dead and we need life. It doesn't have to be a major crisis. It can just be a conviction, a sermon when you listen to it or reading his word. You realize, man... I am spiritually dead. I need resurrection. I need Jesus' life in me. A great Bible teacher, once he used this illustration, and uh, if you want to put up this picture, comparing us to this guy, comparing us to somebody who pushes uh, our life like a car, realizing that our tank is empty, has this ever happened to any, any one of you? Sometimes we like, we try to push, we see the little empty light down there in our car, it's like, oh, we can still make it. But when the tank is empty, we know what to do, right? We have to get a jerry can, or we have to push our car to the, to the next gas station, and we, we have to fill up. And the Bible teacher said, like, that's exactly what most Christians do. They, they realize that I need to fill up my, my car. But then, once its car is filled up with gas, instead of sitting in the car and turning the key, they just keep pushing the car, living a miserable Christian life. 
So first thing we need to do is we need to realize that our tank is empty, that we need Jesus as a savior. And that's why he declares that I am the resurrection. And I think oftentimes we look at this passage and we say, oh yeah, Jesus is the resurrection. And we're looking at Lazarus like he needed the resurrection. But Jesus doesn't just say, I am the resurrection. He says, I'm also the life. So I want to talk about what does this life look like? How can I turn the key? And I think we need to, we need to look at Jesus, how he has lived his life. He lived for 33 years in his life on this earth. We see it in scripture. And... Uh, I think the first thing we need to do, and I think Dylan did a great job this morning, we need to start being thankful. Recognizing who Jesus is and that he is the resurrection life, that we have this great assurance that we have eternal life, that nobody can snatch us away. But also to recognize that Jesus wants to be our life. That's the, the first thing. Then when I, yeah, when I look at Jesus... He made himself available to God. He, many times in scriptures, he says, I do nothing on my own. That's like even in John's gospel, that's six or seven times. But, but Jesus says, I can do nothing by myself. It's the Father living in me. But he had to make himself available to God. There's a great scripture also in, in uh, Galatians 2, 2.20. It says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. Again, it talks about this, okay, I'm dead, I'm crucified, but now Christ lives in me. The life that I live here on earth is not mine anymore. It is Jesus living in me. And that has to be a conscious decision. God, like every morning when I wake up, it's like, God, this is your day. It's not my life. Change me. Use me. Like, I'm working in a landscaping company. It's like, I have co-workers. We have clients we work for. Tradespeople we interact with. It's like, God, how do you want me to, how do you want to use me today? Sometimes he does. And sometimes he doesn't. And it's, up, it's his business. As long as I'm available to him, he can just use me. And oftentimes he does use me and I don't even know about it. And those are actually the best moments. So that I don't take the, the glory for myself, but the, the glory goes to him. But I'm just available. So the question is, are you available to God? Like every day, every morning when you get up, it's like, God, this is your day. And there's lots of opportunities, just, you know, in your family, with your neighbors, there's opportunities here in this church to be available, to be used by him. And... And we keep sharing those opportunities where you can step in and be available to him. When the, the third thing would be to depend on him. In Colossians 2 verse 6, it says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. So when you look at Lazarus, what did he do? How did he receive Christ? How did he come to life? He didn't do anything. Like, he was just, he was in the cave. He was dead, really dead. And he, and he heard the call of Jesus. He said, come out. And he came. And so that's what it says here. Just as you received Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. 
he had <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Lazarus had nothing to give. Because dead people, they can't do much, right? And so when you look at Jesus, especially in John's Gospels, like again too, he says, hey, I depend on everything on the Father. He said, John, in, in John 14, he said that Jesus can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees his Father doing. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. It is the Father living in me who's doing his work. And so if, if Jesus couldn't live his life on earth without his Father, then how can we as Christians live the life without Jesus? That's why he came to live inside of us, to give us resurrection life and to live through us. So whatever tasks you have, Today or tomorrow morning, it doesn't matter if you're a framer or if you're raising kids at home or if your kids, if you're like fixing a bike or when, when you write a test in school. Even when you go on holidays right now, Jesus wants to be involved. He wants us to depend on him for everything we do. He's with us already. He promised us to be in us. But do I choose to depend on him? And the last thing I just want to share how the new life looks like is also is a scripture in John 17, 3. Because we oftentimes think, oh, eternal life is this everlasting life that starts when we go to heaven one day. But Jesus defines eternal life that this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ. Like study the scripture, get to know Jesus in scripture. But this knowing, knowing God in here is also the experiential knowledge. Because it's one thing to have the head knowledge. Like in, and even Jesus, to the Pharisees, he criticized them earlier. and said, hey, you diligently study the scripture, but you don't come to me. We need to study the scripture, get to know Jesus, but then also obey the scriptures. And that's when we obey, that's when we get to experience him. And so that's what he wants us to do. He wants us to to thank him for what he has done, that he is the resurrection. He wants us to be available to him. He wants us to depend on him. And he wants us to get to know him more. And so he asked Martha those questions like, do you, do you believe this? Like the question for us this morning is, do we believe that? That he is the resurrection, but also is he, is he that life? And... Uh, as a reminder, we even at the back door, we have those little uh, fr fridge magnets that you can take home with you just as a, as a reminder. Do I want to live that life that Jesus offers us? Thank you.